and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Will Gad is an adventurer. He's an explorer, but he's also a teacher. He's a father. He's a storyteller. He is a dynamic, unique human being who does unique things in this world. I think you're going to find him to be pretty awe-inspiring not just because of his actions and what he does on a day-to-day basis, but also how he thinks. And he thinks deeply. But he doesn't think deeply just in hypotheticals. I think he really thinks deeply in terms of what's real, whether that's about climate change or being a dad or how he thinks about fear and the risks and reward that come with the work that he does. 
And just to give you a sense of some of the things he's done, he's flown a paraglider over the Grand Canyon. He's won three gold medals at the X Games. He's also uh, won at the Ice Climbing World Cup. He's won Canadian National Sport Climbing Championships four times. He's kayaked down dozens of first descents across North America. He is somebody who's done things like using supplemental oxygen to explore high carbon dioxide caves in Thailand. He's ice climbed in underground mines in Sweden. He is somebody who definitely challenges what most human beings think is possible. And I found him just to be a real cool guy that I'd want to maybe have a beer with and talk about life and talk about how he thinks about risk and reward and fear and failure. And he's also a competitor. That's going to come across in today's conversation. And we talk quite a bit about what it means to be competitive, what it means to be intentional, and, and also how the universe can impact our journey as well. So this is a thoughtful conversation. Certainly it made me think you'll hear him challenge me in some ways and and change maybe how I think about the world. And hopefully he will help you learn a little bit today as well. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to the awe-inspiring Will Gad. Will, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Where I wanted to start was on your website, which has all kinds of good content, also on the Red Bull site. There are so many storytelling adventures that you've captured, which is inspiring. And I encourage people to check those out as well. But on your website, it's got a lot of these conquests uh, or successes that you've had. And so I'm going to read a few of them. I'm not going to read all of them um, to make you too uncomfortable. But, um, you know, setting the world distance record for paragliding twice, um, kayaking down dozens of first ascents ascents across North America, winning gold medals at the X Games, winning Canadian National Sport Climbing Championships, winning the U.S. and Canadian Paragliding Nationals. So we could keep going here. There's a long list. I encourage people to check out. Um, and they're they're diverse. And um, the one that stood out to me, though, was you put surviving on there. <laughs> and when I asked you, hey, what do you want to talk about? You said, I think a lot about risk and reward, especially lately. And so that word surviving, I literally bolded um, for us to talk about why is surviving on there and, and how do you think about risk and reward? Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's a great place to start. And I am, I think that is the, I'm, I'm, if there's anything in my career, I've done some stuff for sure and achieved some things, but the, the two things that I'm proud of are that, um, in my crews in the mountains and, and the people that I work with, you know, nobody's died and we've had some injuries and things, but I, and, and my crews have come back from these trips as friends and, and alive, which is the goal. And in my world, that's not a given. In fact, it's, it's rare that people who do this for a long time um, don't have those events. And I, and I very much could have those events. I've had some really good luck. I can't just say, Oh yeah, that rock, I missed it. That rock missed me because I was in the right place. I mean, maybe, but the rock could have gone the other way. So um, yeah, I think, I've made an effort throughout my career to do dangerous things and rewarding things and important things as best I can and recognize that the goal is always to come back. And, uh, you know, that could end. It's not a given. And and I have to approach every day with that attitude for sure. But that's, yeah, that's where I am. Surviving is such an interesting word to put in with all of those other accomplishments, because you certainly haven't lived a life of like, oh, 
I'm just going to survive. You've lived a life of thriving. You've lived a life of pushing the edge and pushing the envelope. I once worked with a woman um, who she was sexually assaulted. She was in the military and went through some, some tough, tough training. And then she got cancer. And she looked at me once and she said, Brian, I don't like when people call me a survivor because I'm a thriver. Like those yeah. things happen to me and I'm thriving in spite of some of them and because of some of them. And so that word just stuck out to me because I think you live your life as like a thriver, but then there's this other piece that's an acknowledgement of this is dangerous stuff and I'm fortunate. And so can you talk about that word survivor and thriver and how you think about those two words? Well, first of all, that woman sounds awesome. I'd love to meet her one day. <laughs> I like that idea. You know, you, we all have the damage done and how do you, how do you move forward and how do you thrive with that, with that damage? I think that's a really good question. And I think, yeah, um, I've always set out to do cool things ever since I was a little kid. It's like, what can I do today that would be cool? And, and then God had tried to do something, you know, whether it's ride my BMX bike or skateboard or climb or, or whatever. It's like, what can I do that's cool? But I grew up in a mountain family, in a mountain environment, and you know, at least once a year and often five or six times a year, there'd be a wake at my parents' house for one of the people who didn't come back from the mountains. And this wasn't a huge community. So very early on, I figured out that the sports that I like doing in the mountains are really high risk. And people talk about, wow, we're going to do risk management and all this stuff. And it, 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 you can certainly affect things dramatically, but... Um, it was very clear to me that, that the mountains are a complicated place and, and you're not going to win against them long-term. It's like the house and gambling. You can beat it some of the time, but you're, you're not going to beat it forever. So I, I, and at the same time, I, you know, from a relatively early age, I was out in these places that are amazing and beautiful and rewarding and meaningful and powerful and all these things, especially as a teenage boy that I needed. You know, the, the, the math classroom, I'm sorry, you know, had a wonderful math teacher, but that was a that, that did not have an immediacy the same way that being up on a mountain ridge and you're watching the sunrise come up and it's gorgeous and you're switched on and, and you got to worry about rocks and real shit trying to kill you. Like as a teenage boy, that's what I needed. I did not, I did not do well in the classroom environment. So how do you do? And at the same time, I knew the truth of what, <laughs> what these places did to people in terms of great outcomes and beautiful outcomes and in terms of going to wakes. And and so I've, I've spent most of my life trying to balance those things and be realistic about what they are rather than, you know, I've got this on lockdown because I sure don't. And I don't think any, in fact, I know nobody does, you know, <laughs> but you look at some people like you got this all figured out. Well, that person's wrestling with it because if they, if they felt like they had it all figured out, they'd probably get killed pretty quickly because we don't. I'm sure many listening to this watch free solo or watch the Alpinist. Yeah. Uh, you were in the Alpinist and it was almost like your role in that documentary was, was saying like, wait, hold on a second here. Like let's, let's make some, some smart decisions on what's going on. Um, and, and that was a documentary that just, I think probably resonated with people and stuck because we all sort of watch free solo and, and celebrate Alex Hanold and like, Oh, how cool is that? But then there's this other dark side that you're mentioning, which Mark Andre went through and, and is no longer here. Um, and you, how do you think about how do you think about what's cool going forward for you? Because you said, man, when I was a kid, I just went toward things that are cool. 
is it still the same things or is what's cool changed as you, as you continue to evolve? I think I've gotten a better understanding of what's cool, like what fires me up and it's not the same. And I think you're, you know, talking about Mark Andre and the Alpinist, he, he did what I, I think a lot of us would love to do. And that's why for me, that film was so powerful is that he executed, um, what he wanted to do. And so did, so did Alex and in, in his free solo. And that's the, that is probably the coolest thing in life. It's like becoming your best version of yourself, whatever it is. And, you know, Mark Andre is not normal. I'm not normal. Alex isn't normal. <laughs> probably nobody is really normal if you really dig down into it. But, uh, you know, they, they went and created this amazing life. Mark Andre was living the best version of himself. I really think that like he, he was doing that. And, and Alex, I think is too. And Alex is starting to wrestle with a lot of these questions as well. I, I, I had a conversation with him the other day and that was the same thing. It's like, you know, how, how does this, how does this work? I think he's recognizing that you can't, yeah, he, he's thinking about it. He's a very thoughtful guy, but he's also living his, I think pretty close to, to best version of himself and he's trying to do it. So both Mark Andre and Alex are doing are, are really trying to live their best lives. They're not shying away from that. And and I think as I've gotten older, that's a, a really important principle, whether you're dealing with like animals, you know, I want animals to live their best lives. Like it's, you see a dog and dogs, you can tell what a dog's living a good life. It's like stoked. And, and with humans, it's the same thing. Are, are you really living the best version? And it's, it's not an easy path. So as I go forward, it's, it's, that that do the coolest thing has gotten a little bit more intellectual and then it's like what is the best version of life that i can create and it sounds a little pretentious and, and i'm in a privileged position to do that but that is that has been the goal and i don't have a tremendous amount of like you know i'm gonna make the best life i'm like i don't feel that way i'm a relatively shy or or insecure or whatever you want to call it. I'm not one of those people that's like, I got all this shit. I'm like, oh man, this is a mess. How do I make something good out of it? And so, I, but I am consciously trying to go forward in the best version of, of whatever I can create. And I, and I admire both the people you just mentioned, because I, I think they did that. And with Mark andre it killed him and it's not romantic. And it's, 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 but he, he had to be who he was. He cannot be Mark Andre was never going to make an, an accountant. <laughs> it's just no goddamn way. Somebody like that is 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 going to be a menace to himself and others if you ever locked in a cubicle. The plead burn the place down. So you know, you got to be who you are. And I think that's who I admire in life is it people who are really trying to be who they are, whatever it is. It's interesting you talk about admiration, and I think of two people just right off the bat. I admire my dad, and I admire my son, and mm. um. It's interesting as you were just talking, my dad has been a very successful business person. He's a great father. He's got great relationships. He's married and happily in a relationship with my, with my mom. Um, like anyone that looks at my dad would be like, he's successful um, yeah. by like whatever measure you deem success. He's happy. He's, he's doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Um, but my dad used to say to me, Brian, there's nothing wrong with being normal. And what's interesting is a lot of people that meet him will say, gosh, your dad's just so normal. Like that's the word that they'll use. And so I'm going to connect it now to my son, the other direction. When he was born, 
I remember I'm Jewish and we've got this tradition of, you know, a bris where it's an old archaic tradition. It's, it's kind of weird, but you, he meets the community for the first time. And I remember saying, I just want him to be the best version of himself. Hmm. And so I'm thinking as you're talking about, you know, we're not normal. And then what's the best version of myself? And I'm hearing my dad, but I'm hearing like the message for my son. And I'm thinking about, well, in the circles you're in, you're probably pretty normal. Like we had Gavin McClure on, like, he's probably like, yeah, I get Will. Like th- that makes sense to me. Um, and the guys you're mentioning, it's like, oh, that, it, it's probably normal because you're being the best version of you. And that might involve an ice pick or a boat or, or whatever it involves. And so I'm thinking about that word normal and how it relates to what the best version of ourselves look like. And perhaps you actually are normal. It's just your normal is different than someone else's. And my dad's normal is different than someone else, but we're all human. And so there are like basic similarities that probably exist. Just how we think about risk or fear or consequences are different. I don't know if that resonates with you or how. No, that totally resonates. I mean, I think one of the most important things I've learned in my life is that everybody has something that blows their hair back, whatever it is that they go out and do, you know, and I, I often, I'm reminded of this friend of mine, friend of mine's dad. And I thought this guy was like as sort of straight boxing human as ever, but in his garage, he had this old Mustang and the thing was beautiful. And that's where he went and that's what he loved. And he'd work on this thing and and tell us about it. And you could just see his eyes light up. And I think almost everybody in life, whether it's their kids or their whatever they're doing, their yard, I don't know, man, but everybody's got something that fires them up. And that when people enter that space and get the opportunity to do that, it, it that's what's awesome. And I admire anybody that's doing that. You don't, you know, I think we tend to idolize these people and it's, you know, your dad knew this, who do all these wild and wacky stuff or whatever it is, but it's like people that keep the world going around are the quote, normal people, <laughs> you know, the dad that's there for his kids, you know, and the Bob that's there for her kids and, and, and their partners. And, and these, this is what really deeply makes the world go around. The world can live just fine without ice climbers. We're not super necessary, but like parents, yeah, that's necessary. And so normal is pretty dab rad. If that's, if that's truly where you are, you know, like I didn't go flying yesterday. Cause I, I, my, my kids were around and, and I wanted to do things with them. And we did nothing that was radical, but we sure had a great day. We did some, like, just beating around stuff, you know, and, and that was pretty darn normal. And that is great. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Normal's a pretty good place. It, I do think that probably people like the climbers and the extreme sports athletes were on the edge of the bell curve, right? Like there's, we're not, our brains don't, our brains are normal and that society always has people like us and it has two options. We can either do radical sports or go to jail you know, <laughs> and be dysfunctional in some ways. And so those of us who are lucky figure out how to get those super high stimulus activities that we thrive in and, and need. And those who aren't, you know, like I was basically, I wasn't basically, I was a juvenile delinquent in, in junior high school because I was bored. I was like, what can I do to make this interesting? And I did, it just wasn't very healthy. And these mountain sports allowed me to have a more, a healthier version of that. If you hear that noise, that's the coffee machine shutting off. I've been up for an hour here. All good. I I think about that word inspiration though, and inspiration and aspiration uh, are like closely linked. And for me, I do find inspiration in superhumans. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't want to be you, but there's something in you that I find inspiring. And that's probably why people are resonating with those types of documentaries and in your work. And that's why we're having this conversation, right? Like you're doing inspiring things. I think where people get tripped up is I even think how you said it, when they romanticize the elements of it, whether that's the physical pain that you go through or what you do to your body or maybe the need for living on the edge or these other pieces to it that, yeah, there's some, some glory to it, but there's also a dark side to it. Um, but inspiration and aspiration, like I do a, a uh, exercise with my clients where I say, Hey, pick five people that inspire you and then list the attributes that they have. And then we'll look for commonalities. And I always tell them, well, there's something in that person that you want to see in yourself. And that's aspirational. And that we all need inspiration. We all need people that I don't want to be will, but yeah, his willingness to feel alive and desire to feel alive. Like that part of me really resonates. And to your point, I can feel alive when playing with my kids. I can feel alive mm-hmm. around a bonfire with my buddies. I can feel alive when my wife and I are on a date. Like there's, there's all these other elements and feeling alive to me has actually been more of a focal point than happiness. As I get older, like happiness seems elusive and almost aloof. Whereas feeling alive. Like I felt alive as you were talking, like I feel alive doing this right now. And so like to your point earlier, that, that person who's got the car in the garage, or I think of a CPA or, or an engineer, like if you talk to these people, they usually have something that causes them to feel alive and you're lighting up because what does it feel like for you when you are doing that thing, when you are um, paragliding or you are, you know, climbing Niagara or, or whatever you're doing. Um, can you walk us through what that feels like? And can you explain it? I, I definitely can, but I just want to say what I, I really get what you, the, the aspirational versus inspirational and, and both looking up to people, but also um, using that fuel wherever you could find it to do cool things. I think that's just super, super important to uh, We all need it, right? Everybody yeah. needs inspiration. Like we have downs and it's awe is something I love studying. Awe is amazing. And when yeah. you experience awe and it can come from all facets, it doesn't have to be from something yeah. incredible. Like my kids are awe-inspiring. My, my friends can do awe-inspiring things. Yeah. Like I can watch, I went to a baseball game the other day. Like the way they hit the ball is inspiring. Um, So I think, yeah, that's how we can continue to grow and evolve through inspiration. I I totally dig that. And I think it's the the other side of that that you just said is really interesting to me because when I was younger, I was, as you say, interested in happiness. And I did find a feeling of fulfillment and happiness, completeness, meaning, whatever you want to call it, and doing these sports. They're, they're, They're awesome for that. But I've been reading a lot about sort of neuro stuff lately and and listening to different things about that. And I think what I figured out from that is that continual happiness is, is both, it's almost like we're programmed not to be satisfied or happy as human beings. Like that's what I'm kind of figuring out as I, as I dig into this more and more, our dopamine levels like spike when we get these hits and then they go back down and they often bounce the other way. So we're relatively unhappy Yet we're all trying to be happy. And, and this, I don't really want to be happy. I want to do things that 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 make me feel, as you just said, alive. And I and I and I think that's a maybe, maybe we're just getting to be old men or something. But um, like when are you fired up? It's like when you're that kid on Saturday morning and you know you're gonna go do something cool with your buddies and whatever they are. Like that's 
that's, I don't know if that's happiness, but you're switched on, you're feeling alive, as you said, that's what we're kind of after. And I think I'm recognizing now I can do something that's meaningful or whatever. I always go through these periods of relative depression after I do anything, whether it's a big project or or whatever. It's like, you know, I'm all fired up for two weeks while that's going on or two months. And then I get home and I'm like, yeah, I used to be mad at myself. Be like, why am I doing that? Now I'm like, this is normal. Get your shit together. You're going to need to drink a lot of coffee and do nothing for a couple of weeks. And then the the mojo will come back. But I I think that feeling of that quest for alive and recognizing that maybe happiness and satisfaction and joy you know, there's all these books like how to be happy. What a load of horse shit. I don't want to be happy. <laughs> I want to go. I want to like live and then figure out how to, how to, how to do the next one. And I, I, you know, maybe all the people that were just happy all the time, they like starve to death because they're not like, well, you know, the larder's getting low. I need to go out and hunt a saber tooth or whatever. <laughs> you know, like maybe they got weeded us, weeded out of us in evolution. And, and uh, I'm not arguing for like being depressed and angry all the time, but some of the time it may be useful. Well, I I always say like if you're if a close relationship passes away, like I don't want to feel happy. Like I I just had someone not that close to me tragically die. I'm like, holy shit, like what the hell? Like that that hit me. And I think it's helpful. It then made me look at my kids differently for a couple hours. And you know, I to your point, like we should feel all the range of emotions, and that is feeling alive, and that's part of the experience. But you said something that I've been thinking a lot about, which is living in different worlds. And mm-hmm. so I'd imagine you go out and you're in nature and you're experiencing, you know, Kilimanjaro and Niagara Falls and like these, some of the most beautiful places in our world. Um, and, and you're on the edge and you are, you know, doing things that are probably exciting and challenging and difficult. I'm not doing any of that. Um, but I will say, like, I talk to fascinating people like you all the time. And then I talk to my friends who are very normal. And like, that's the word I would use to describe them. They're just good people. They're dads. They're working. Like, and so I, I, I struggle sometimes because these conversations I find light me up. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm learning. I'm connecting with these interesting people. Interesting would be the word I would say, like, of the people I've had on this podcast, they're interesting. And I'm not taking anything away from my friends who are interesting in their own right, but our conversations are not with the same depth that actually these are, even though these are being broadcast to the world, it's kind of a strange two different worlds that I live in. I'm curious, have you figured anything out about living in different worlds and spaces where when you're on an adventure and a journey, how do you stay present when you're not in that setting and you're in a more contained environment? Um, a less adventurous environment. You mentioned being with your kids yesterday. Like, how do you how do you switch from those two worlds? Because I think in my mind, I want to be present in both. I want to be like present for my friends and these relationships that are, by the way, loyal and pour into me in other ways yeah. and, and are there for me. But I find my mind sometimes wandering to the more interesting things. And I think it gets in the way sometimes of how I show up for the people that I really care about. No offense to you, but I care about them <laughs> even more than I care about you. Like I, I like, hope so. <laughs> those are the relationships, right? Like those are the people yeah, that are, yeah. that are there for you day in, day out. But I find myself not feeling as alive when I'm sometimes with them because my mind is like, Whoa, I just talked to Will who's doing all this amazing stuff. How can you put that in your terms and how you navigate those two? I, I think when I was younger, I used to 
I used to hear things like this or think things like this and be like, well, it shouldn't be this way. Like I should be able to just do both or whatever. And I think recognizing as with anything in life, recognizing that it's hard to go from these two worlds. Like this is what blows your hair back, right? You get on here, you talk to people, you have this intense experience in some ways or landing with somebody that like gets it and you're like all fired up with the groove. And then you, and that's pretty similar to what I do when I'm in the mountains or whatever. And then you go back and you're like, this is the normal life and it's supposed to make sense. You know, it, I've done some work with the military and, and done some research in this as well. You know, people come back from, from operations or, or war and it's not the same. And you've got to somehow reintegrate into quote normal life when you've been living in this like super intense, very otherworldly situation where things are both massively unclear and relatively clear. You know, your, what your job is, what your mission is. And then you come back and you're supposed to like worry about, you're supposed to go to the grocery store and like worry about, do I buy like the organic Cheerios? <laughs> it makes no sense, right? So, and and now I just recognize that that's the way it is. It's dissonance. And if you, for me, anyhow, if I get enough of the sort of high stimulus stuff, then I function way better in the, um, what I would call kind of the, the, the more normal side of life. You know, my kids recognize this. So like, dad, go outside. You're being a pain in the ass, you know? And it's, and, and it's true. Um, if I can do these high stimulus, intense things or the things that have like really massive amounts of meaning to me, then I function better in normal life. And I, you know, when I'm out there on Kilimanjaro or wherever I am, whatever I'm doing today, I'm going paragliding all day. And I know that when I land tonight, I'm, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go home and I, I'm chilled out. I'll be a good dad. Um, well, that's not be dad. I'm going to go do my best at it. I hope, I hope I do well. I don't, I think I got a shot at it, but if I don't do that, the kids are going to be home. And if I've spent all day and all the last week trying to finish my book project and I'm surly as hell and the kids come in, I'm like, get your shoes out of the entry. What are you doing? Hang your jacket up. How many years have we been doing this guys? <laughs> you know. Whereas if they, if, if I've been out paraglider, they come in, I don't really care about the shoes. This is not that important. You know, like if it goes on for weeks, yeah. And hang your jacket up and take your shitty lunch stuff out of your box so that I don't have to deal with mold in a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll deal with it way better. And so if you have those things that are meaningful and you get your mind clearer or at least better ordered, then the rest of it becomes easier. And, and you know, I love sitting around the fire with my buddies. You know, like that is, that as you say, that is the true, to me, that's the depth of life. What I do out there in the mountains I have those intense relationships with people in the mountains for sure, but those are like 10% of the time in my life, right? Like the other stuff that in a lot of ways means, means more. I love my kids. I love being a dad, but I joke to people. I say, how many, how many five and six year old friends do you have? Right? Like uh, yeah. you, you, you like go after and try to have relationships with them. No, like it's a different type of relationship. And last night, even I was around, yeah, I actually had an author at my house who I really respect. And so we were talking about something and my son joined us and we had a conversation and the two cool. of us, me and the author were learning from my son about animals and all this information that he has. It was remarkable. Um, cool. But when I had Gavin on the podcast, he talked a lot about becoming a father and how it completely changed his perspective. And, you know, I think it wasn't necessarily the vision that he had, um, and for what he thought his world would be and his life would be, I think you became a dad at 41. Um, how did becoming a dad impact your relationship with risk and, and how you saw 
your your role and and what you do for a living? Well, I mean, that's a huge topic for sure, and I love the fact that you were learning from the <laughs> learning from the. I think it was six year old son, you know, and he's telling you about his animals. I love that. You know, well, he's I, smarter I than me at six than I am yeah. at my age. It's like I don't know where his brain came from, but it's not my brain, and so yeah. it's actually very easy. <laughs> like at 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 a very young age, I'm realizing like, oh yeah, I got a lot to learn from him and my daughter as well. She's she's very different than my son, but she yeah. teaches me stuff every single day. Um, and there's something naive about children that also teaches us but yeah i mean he's gonna be teaching me for a long long time it's gonna it's well gonna my older daughter is 15 now and the other day at dinner i said something um and we'll we can loop maybe we can loop back into your question but i, I was just interested in this but i said something at dinner i forget what it was but it was it was a it was a dad thing to say and, and my 15 year old looks at me like dad you, you can't say that and i was like well, what do you mean i can't say that and and she's like well here's how this works and it was something to do with trans and and um, queer communities. And, and, and I'm, I, I, I just realized that I really didn't get it. <laughs> so she we spend this time and it's like an hour and a half, the food's gone cold and, you know, everybody, you know, the, 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 the 11 year old is tossing stuff in and, and, and it was like, it was a really meaningful, that was living that hour and, and a half. And I learned something, as you said, for my, my, my kids. And it was, it was cool. And I, and I also realized that I still don't get it. My it, I'm figuring it out. We all are. And, but yeah, it'll keep going, man. They, they keep doing that to you. But you had a question and I totally forgot. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring you back. So it was around, did your risk profile change oh, yeah. 15 years ago when, when you had your, your child? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, again, I'm not exactly my, I don't think my brain is in totally in the like middle of the bell curve of normal, eh? Like it's, it's not. So I need to do these things and, and, or I'm not as good at the rest of my life. But at the same time, I think one of the reasons I had kids at 40, I wasn't in the same place that I was at 25 or 30 or even 35 um, in terms of being, you know, it meant everything to me to launch my paraglider on the flats of Texas, get towed up into the sky and then go and battle dust devils and tornadoes and and stuff all day long. That's what I wanted. Like more of that, please. Like, you know, setting world records, it's like, that is super dangerous, but man, is it cool. You launch yourself into that environment and it is, you are not bored. There is nothing more important right then and there. And you are fired up. It's like playing sports or whatever. You're, you're there. And as I got older, I think I, I, my, either my brain changed or my understanding of the hazards you know most of the people that i played that game with are dead and and i was like i don't really i don't know well first of all i don't want to die i think life's pretty great um as complicated and messy as it is it's, it's overall better than the alternatives by a long way so in my, in my i think in my late 30s i i i wanted to move on to things that were not without risk but were not um as continually risky as that i i try to spend less time today in those super high risk environments. And that's a relative term. What I do every day is completely batshit by most people's standards. You know, that's the, I can't pretend otherwise. But so my brain had changed. And um, I, I think I was in moving into a lower risk bracket. So I was up for that. And then everything changes once you have kids. All of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, you know, this is not a 
um, six hours on, you know, eight hours at work job. It's like it's 3 a.m. you're dealing, right? And and that also, I think, changes your brain. You've got another thing on the on the other side of the scale, you know, and I do think about that. Today I'm going paragliding and, I, you know, it's a high-risk sport and I'm going to do it. But do I really need to turn my glider in that rock and thermal 100 feet from the hillside or can I give it 300 so that if I blow it up, I, I can, I've got a shot. And I think at 25, I would have been like, I'm going to take it 25 feet off the cliff I'm going to peg it. I'm going to get the extra climb out of it. I don't care. And now I'm like, I'm going to give it 300 feet. And it still isn't, you know, still not without risk, but it certainly lowered my tolerance to be in those razor thin spots. Can you talk a little bit about a competitive spirit or a drive? Because X Games comes along. All right, now you can compete for medals or you mentioned world records earlier. So there are ways for you to compete against others. Um, but then I think about like, you're often competing against nature to your point and like, you know, the risk of that. And even as you talk about today, it's like, oh, I'm going to go paragliding. Do I push it? Do I do this? How do you think about competitiveness and your drive as it relates to competitiveness? Well, losing sucks for starters. In my experience is way more fun to win. So um, if you watch little kids come off the soccer field or whatever, they're like the ones that won are like, yeah. And the ones that lost are like, Meh, you know, and, and yet we're there. Everybody's telling them, Oh, feel good about it. You know, you did your best. And there's some truth in that, but we all know it's bullshit at a certain level too. Like it's not losing sucks. So my goal in life has been to suck less in some ways at, at what I do, just get better. And, and there's always these aspirational quotes, like, you know, you're going to, go, don't set your sights too low and go forth. And I, you know, I, I sort of believe all that stuff in some way it's inspirational, it's useful, but it's also kind of bullshit for me. What's worked is to get better. And I, I've never walked into a competition with the idea that I'm going to beat anybody, but I do walk in there with the idea that I am going to do my best and I'm going to throw down and I'm going to get my mind and body and, and all the, everything in, as well integrated as I can to perform well. And over the years I've learned how to do that in a competition environment. And it's been really useful for many areas of my life. So, you know, other people are maybe sizing up the competition or whatever. I'm like, in the team sports, you, you have to do some of that. Like I played a lot of team sports, love team sports. And, and um, that was high school. I'm out of that world. But I, I think you learn a tremendous amount through team sports and you do have to size up your competition and it is more directly um, person to person. But what really allows you to win in that environment is to figure out how it works. And that's all I'm trying to do is understand and, and grapple with how it works. And if you do that better than anybody else, then you win. But if you go in there and you're like, I'm going to, I've watched so many athletes and in and, and business as well, people who go in and we're like, we're going to win this contract. It's like, that's a load of horse shit. We're, we're going to figure out how to win this contract. And then if we do it really well, we're going to win. But it's very different than being like, I'm not really competitive with anybody. If somebody wants to go up against me in whatever sport, that's their issue. I'm just there to like execute as well as I can. And and I don't really, you know, if I've done that well, then I win. And if I haven't, then I don't. And it sucks. And I will go back and flagellate myself until I figure out how not to suck and I can go and win. (laughs) That's what you do. And and that I think that's allowed me to get better. And I, and I also have a lot of respect for my competitors. Like, it, it, you know, that's who I train with and that's who I hang out with. And I know they're good. You know, you can't be like, well, 
Joe Wood and, and yeah, like, no man, Joe trained his ass off. Joe figured it out better than I did, and he won that day. Respect to Joe, but I'm still gonna like figure it out as better as I can and suck less next time. We'll see if Joe Joe wins or not. Just, if he figures it out, then right on. Or she figures it out, then great. I'm, I'm gonna suck less. I love the the root and the origins of the word compete, which is competere, which is Latin, and it hmm. means to strive with. And like to your point what are we without people that are competing? Like we use them for inspiration. We use them to get better, to improve magic, magic Johnson and Larry bird, right? Like that, that makes them better. I think about even tennis, like we've got three of the best tennis players of all time and they're all competing to get Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and they are mm. competing against each other. And that has made them three of the best tennis players of all time. Like it, we think about competition as zero sum, but think of a capitalist society. It's like, we need to have people that are going to challenge us to cause us to keep focusing on learning and growing and get, get better. And I, I think like sometimes we get lost in that word and, and especially in the West, I think sometimes we, we use it in, in a way that isn't, what its intentions are. Um, so I really like that idea of striving with, and and then also using the the best to benchmark yourself. It's like, I'm never going to be the best sport climber in the world anymore. That's for sure. I'm way too old, but it's like, I don't benchmark myself off of like the average person. Like I suck a lot compared to the best rock climber in the world right now, which is this guy named Adam Andra. But Adam Andra has figured out how to do rock climbing in a way that nobody else has. And I can use those tricks. And they're really interesting. The way he breaks down how he looks at rock climbing and why is super inspirational. Like his climbing, yeah, that's cool. But the way he approached that is the same kind of template that I think almost anybody can use to get better at something. It's like, how does this work? How do the best do it? What are they? What are their worlds look like? And how, if I really want to get better at this, how can I pull from that? And, and I guess that's what you've made kind of a career out of doing. And that's why we're having this conversation. But I think it's, I think, it, I think that's really, really important is to go, how do you get good at something? And, and I've gotten reasonably good at a few different sports because I've looked at not only the best, but the successful and, and however you define that and gone, what have they done that will work for me or not work for me? And things I've had to invent on my own. And then eventually, if you really, really focus on getting better, then you win. But you don't just decide to win, like focusing on getting better, like that's more important than focusing on on winning. And I think that's why a lot of this goal setting, it's like my goal is never to like win or do whatever. It's to like get better. And then those things happen. Yeah. I just spent some time with the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think mm -hmm. their whole thing is get better every day. And they, yeah. they have it plastered everywhere. Uh, and they ask the question, did you get better today? And like, yeah. that's the focus. And if they keep focusing on that, good things will happen. Yeah. That's, I think that's really, that's a really basic sports psychology component that gets overlooked. And, and there's, again, it's this modern of like, strive to be like your best. Well, skip the best. Can you be better today? Can you be better next week? Can you like improve? Can you go to your training, even though you don't really feel like it? Can you make the life decisions that get you where you want to go? You know, and then you're unhappy when you get there and you, then how do you get better? How, you know, it's this, it's this, uh, yeah, it's, it's a process. And, and I don't love the process, to be honest, a pain in the ass and it's uncomfortable. And I wish I could just be happy one morning, but, you know, being better 
is, is that works and that leads to happiness. I want to talk about partnership because mm -hmm. your partner, Sarah, climbs with you. I think the internet told me you're getting married in October. I made him, <laughs> how, did how, did, how did that get out of the, the internet, internet already? <laughs> did the internet lie? I don't know if the internet lied. Cat's oh, out shit. of the bag. We just um, set the invites like yesterday. It's crazy. Congrats, you know, right you, you can you. stalk people online. It's very scary. But um, how has she helped you get better? How has she helped you get better? Maybe climbing? I mean, she, she's a badass climber as well. Um, how has she helped you better from... Uh, technical standpoint, but maybe also zoom out a little bit from a life standpoint. And how has that partnership helped you? Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting married. That'll be, you know, we're formalizing the adventure here. We've been on for a while, which is a good thing, I think. And it's, it's the next step. I'm fired up about that. I think the interesting thing about Sarah is that she is, and this is maybe a common with men and women, but Sarah is way better than she thinks she is. You know, her, her level of technical accomplishment and ability and, and understanding everything. It's way higher than, than she thinks it is. And, and I Can we deal stay with there, Will, for a second? I just co-facilitated a retreat with my, like, work wife. And she looked at me and she said, "You, Brian thinks I'm better than I think. He sees more in me than I see in myself. She said mm. the exact... What do you think that is from a... Is, that a, is it a gender yeah. thing? I think it is a gender social construct and I, and I think, yeah, I mean, I could, I could get into like choppy seas here really fast, uh, but I, I almost most men I know think they're better than they are at whatever they're doing. And most women are better than they think they are at whatever they're doing. And it, I don't know whether this is a testosterone thing. Like we're like, we're men, we will have no skills and no training, but we will go for it. This is not what somebody else could do it. I can't do it. You know, YouTube's full of the results of that. There's way, way, way more examples of overconfident and underprepared men doing really stupid shit than women. You know, it's, that's how it works. That's what we do. We're like we're men, we will go forth and do, do this thing, whatever it is. So I, I do think it's a gender thing. Um, and now I will be buried for saying that and, obviously there's different examples of this, but this innate belief is men that like we're men and we can do this, even if we know nothing about it from fixing a car to brain surgery, it's, it's, you know, it's hardwired into us somehow or, or many of us. Um, so yeah, you're, you're, you're a co-facilitator there. I think that's a really common thing. And I look at my daughters and I'm like, how can I lift them past that? And, and I don't, maybe that's the way they, maybe that's the way there's some reason for this. This did not happen like by accident. So what is that? And how can we either recognize it or, or, you know, I do a lot of teaching as well. And the way I teach broadly speaking, many women is different than the way I teach many men. And if I've got a mixed group, you know, I have to make sure that the women and say I'm teaching climbing, just rock climbing, can climb up this wall together. It's going to be awesome. But if I don't structure it, then the men will go forward and destroy themselves for an hour on the rope and hog all the rope time. And the women are concerned about everybody getting a turn and, and making things work well. And, and so the men get better because they spend more time on the rope. Whereas the women who are actually often better climbers don't because they're not willing to push forward in that same setting. And, and this is endlessly fascinating to me. So I structure my groups to make sure that everybody gets relatively equal time on the rope. And then often the women get better than the men faster. There's, there's, not research, there's research to back up what you're talking about. So in the business world, men will 
uh, applied for jobs that they are not qualified for hmm. and women will apply for jobs that are they're overqualified for. Of course, we're generalizing and it's not all men and all women, but same thing with asking for a pay raise. And so there, yeah. and I think it's, there might be some physiological components, which you've hit on, but there's also a social component mm-hmm. um, that I think starts from a young age. And I'm the same way. Like my, my daughter is fierce and she's strong and she is, I mean, she is going to take the bull by the horns and I'm trying like hell to not stifle that because I think, um, you know, our society sometimes can stifle it, especially in girls. And then, um, but they need that. She needs that stubbornness. She needs that fire that she has inside of her. Um, I think it'll serve her well. It's just not a five. Like <laughs> I think it'll serve her well <laughs> at 25. Um, but it, and then as a man, I think about often, like what roles am I in where, you know, not, not to call people out, but call them forward. And like, how do you call people forward and, and allow them to share their gifts and their genius. And, you know, you mentioned the team aspects. I've worked with women's teams and men's teams. And to your point, like women tend to be way more coachable, way more interested in being collaborative and um, humble and like some incredible qualities. Um, And I think there are downsides that come with those qualities as well. And so it's an interesting thing. I've got a boy and a girl. So I think often about uh, socially, what situations they're in and then how we're, how we're raising them. Um, but back to Sarah, um, what's it like for you when you're on a mountain with her and you're actually doing something on the edge and she's there with you? Like I was watching, um, I think it was Kilimanjaro where like the oxygen was really hard and she was having tremendous issues with the altitude and she's on the bottom and, and she's like, I don't even know how he can breathe up there. Like I can't even (laughs) like, breathe down here. And and so what's it like having her with you as a partner, not necessarily as a relationship partner, but as a partner, as you're doing difficult, difficult and dangerous things? Well, what, what you just talked about is actually really relevant to that, I think, because maybe some of the things that why male and female, and, and that's really, you know, those, those are lots of spectrum in there and, and over stereotypical things. But, you know, when I'm out there with Sarah, she often, we call her the voice of reason. And, and so I'll, I'll be like, well, this makes sense. We'll just march in there and we'll climb this thing and uh, we'll put a camera person over here and we're good. And so I was like, um, well, you know, rocks might fall down there and your camera person. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's actually really true. And so let's not do that. We'll, we'll do what Sarah says. And this, this is often how we run these trips. We, we, work together and some of her caution she's more cautious than i am and and um more organized and better at working with some of the more challenging social situations we deal with on these trips and we have complementary skills so i think we tend to look at things as antagonistic it's like well they're different so it must be antagonistic well no they're different and and, and if you whether it's in your relationship or your business team or whatever how do you make those things work together so with sarah um she is often better and makes all of us better on the team by using some of those maybe more feminine or, or, you know, whatever you want to call them skills, softer skills and, and hard mountain sense. Like that's a bad idea. You know, (laughs) I don't think we should do that (laughs) to, you know, this person's struggling on your team and you're not seeing it. Um, And then, yeah, it sucks when you're there and she, she's altitude sick and, and it's, it's really hard to watch your partner go through that. They're suffering massively and it's, it's tough. And we've actually decided some trips that I'm doing, they're, they're too rapid fire. You know, she likes things to be much more organized and planned. 
and and I sort of look at these some of the time as you know, <laughs> obstacles to forward progression. <laughs> Not always. I do a tremendous amount of planning and thinking, obviously. But, you know, in the moment, I'm very comfortable with, we've done the research, we've done the work, let's do this thing. And, and she's like, well, you know, so some trips, there's so much tension around that, that we have to just do it differently, you know, or, or not do that trip together. Some you, of them. How do you think of optimism and pessimism? How do you think about it? Um, just in terms of a framework and and how you lean and, and how do you think about the idea of an optimist and a pessimist? Well, they're extremes, right? And like, like gender, there's a lot of room in the middle. And, and you know, a, we're, we're not, you know, optimists and pessimists, maybe we're not quite so, you know, out there. I've, I've been called both. And, and I think we all need optimism to do things, right? We're like, yeah, we can do this. You know, I can go and do, I can go climb Niagara Falls. This will make sense, you know, and, and, unfortunately nobody else thought the same thing but that act of optimism is to say we can go and do this and 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 then the pessimist kicks in and it's like wait a minute this is a super involved environment that's really hazardous and i've got a crew of 200 people you know slip and fall hazards are like through the roof it's like you know how, that's where the pessimism comes in i wouldn't call i don't think pessimists are like negative i think they're realistic if you're not pessimistic to a certain extent you're not going to like all the people that were optimistic about running around on the edge of a cliff, like they fell off and didn't reproduce. <laughs> you need some pessimism, some realism in your life to, to keep things working. And so the, again, those are just complementary parts of the same ball of wax. You need that optimism to call up and get a date. And then, you know, maybe you realize that person isn't right. A little pessimism should kick in. But if you're just like, oh, I will be positive. I think there's a large streak of pathological optimism, which I love in in the kind of American character, but it, it leads to some problems if it's not tempered with some realism. Yeah, there's also been some research on toxic positivity and, and yeah, how, yeah. how we can get into trouble there. As I continue to, to research your background, and I loved watching a lot of the documentaries, I loved the one when you were in Greenland. And um, it was clear to me, both that one and the Kilimanjaro one, that you're on somewhat of a mission and there's some meaningfulness behind it around climate change. And, yeah. um, you know, it's clear that you care about something sort of more than yourself. And there's almost like this idea, like, I don't want to just be an individual climber. Like I want to try to talk about climate change. And I've talked to people in that world. And, you know, one of the things that they've said is like the phrase of global warming really did us no favors in mm talking about what's needed because it's really like people get caught up on, you know, the temperature outside and, and like they get, and well, it's cold out. So we're, we're not, you know, I guess we're not global warming. Um, can you talk about climate change and, and how that's driving you potentially and how that aligns perhaps with a purpose and a meaning and, and how you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge topic. And I was just doing some work on that a couple of days ago on, on a local glacier here. And I'm not a natural kind of climate change person. I drive a large truck with large tires on it. I live in Alberta. I use a lot of oil and gas. You know, I, I have worked in that industry some. So I'm, I'm, I don't come at it from this sort of natural. Um, I'm a, I'm a ecological purist. I value the natural world a tremendous amount, and it's, it's, it's really, really important to me. But I think where climate change came in for me is, is going to these places over and over again and just going, wait a minute, this is really different. And my glacier is now 
miles back from where it was when I was a kid. Is this normal? And then you kind of dig into it a bit and you're like, no, this is not normal. Here's where the other chunks of rock from this glacier have been in previous retreats in advance. And their space is like hundreds of years or thousands of years. And this is like 10 years and the same things happen. And it became really apparent that my environment was changing way faster than any of us had a handle on. And, you know, I almost got killed a few years, I think, partly because the ground that held the frozen rocks together melted. This is permafrost. It's all over the world. And when that happens, all the rocks and debris come slamming down. And all over the Rockies and the Alps and the Andes and the Himalaya and every mountain range in the world, this permafrost is starting to melt and we're getting a lot more rockfall. The glaciers are not covering up the debris. You know, Mount the Matterhorn is closed right now in the Alps. One of the most iconic mountains in the world is closed because there's too much rockfall from the warm temperatures. This has not happened, you know, basically ever. So for me as like a guide and a, and a climber and a paraglider pilot, and living in these worlds, climate change is not a theory. It's like right there. And, you know, I, I can't argue with it. Again, it's like adapting to the world is the most important characteristic in life, whatever it is. Like you got to get a reasonable apprehension of what's going on around you. And, and to me, very, very clearly, this is changing at a radical rate that is not anywhere near natural. So, um, yeah, I've gotten interested in this and then worked with some scientists helping them explore areas and rebuild weather stations and understand how water is moving through the Greenland ice sheet. And I do all this and they're really smart people, but they're scientists, right? They're like 0.01 degree, you know, and, and it's, it's not very emotional because they're scientists. They don't want to be emotional about this, but then you put a few drinks into them. And they're like, oh man, this is really bad. <laughs> you know, they, they, once the science hat comes off and their personal feelings come out and they, they work really hard. These are good people and they're doing science. You know, they're super smart. They could be like designing semiconductors and making millions, but they're like sitting on an ice sheet, freezing their asses off because they're interested in it. And, you know, they're not getting rich on this. There is no big climate. You know, this is like, they're sitting on a glacier eating noodles you know <laughs> these these are good people and and so yeah you 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 do I, I listen to them look at my world and it's very very clear that things are changing very fast and yeah so i've made some changes but i'm still a full-on carbon criminal i'm just doing better again the idea of doing better i don't have to be perfect but i got to do better it's clear to me that you're a storyteller and you <laughs> you hear it come out just now and you hear it come out in all of the the TV and, and video work that you've done. What, what are keys to storytelling? I think you have to be interested in what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You've got to, you've got to have something that you, you care about. Like I, I, I care about climate change because I see it and it's engaging. And I think to tell stories, you, you've got to have your heart involved and, and your mind and, and your, your kind of action. And when those three things align, then you, you, get more out of it. And, you know, I just took a, it's interesting you mentioned facilitation. I just took a facilitation course because I was kind of curious about that. And what, that was one of their principles in this course in terms of effective communication is to, you know, you, you actually have to believe your message. Some people could bullshit, but I'm not any good at that. So I got to believe what I'm talking about. And the audience or the people I'm talking with have to feel that. And, and then you, you know, you've got to have some reasoning with it. You know, how does, is this actually happening? What's going on? And, and then you you you've got to do something about it. So, 
I, I'm, I'd be curious what your save answer to that question is, but that's mine. It's like you put those three things together and and try and care. You know, I, I'm hope I hope that people listen to our conversation and maybe get something useful out of it. Like I care about that. I'm, I'm trying to give something. I'm bringing some energy to it. And you are too, man. That's why it fires you up. So Eddie, I'd be you, that's your. I'd be curious what your answer is to that question. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I don't think I'm a particularly good storyteller, but <laughs> I try to get better at it. To your point, I have a framework that I've been working with on it, which is I, you, we. And so I think any great story has to involve I, it has to involve me, it has to involve you, and then it has to involve we. And so like, if you look at the great speeches over time, Kennedy, Martin Luther King, pick your orator, um, there's usually like I, and then they try to explain a message to the person they're conveying to, all right, you, this is why it matters to you. And then this is what we're going to do, we. And if you even map I, you, we onto like some science and psychology like the i i think has to also be about vulnerability and the past like hey mm. here's part of me that i want you to know about then there has to be you which involves like a present presence is what i call it so like i care about you and the only way i can convey that's like through my heart and through showing you that i'm present and having a presence of present and then mm. the we i think is all about optimism hope um, and conveying a message that like, we're going to be better. And mm -hmm. so for me, great storytelling is a combination of I, you, we, um, and I think, like we were talking about the Tony Hawk documentary before we started recording, you haven't watched it. I just watched it. Highly recommend people watch it, but it was really interesting because as Tony got more and more vulnerable, I, then I could start to see him as human and it started mm -hmm. resonating with me and I'm the you in that situation. And then the we that it left me with was around, like I always use this phrase, do you have the story or does the story have you? So for him, does he have skateboarding or does skateboarding have him? For you, do you have extreme sports or does extreme sports have you? And I think it's an interesting paradigm. Uh, do I have what, what do you what do you mean by that? I'm interested in that the sport having you or the event or whatever having you versus you having it. What do you mean by that? I think you can go to anything. Do I have do I have alcohol or does alcohol have me? Do I have anxiety mm -hmm. or does anxiety have me? Do I have the story or does the story have me? Do I have fear? Or does fear have me? I mean, you could mm -hmm. plug that was a, a mentor of mine used to use that mantra, especially when it came to story. Like, do you have story or does the story have you? And I think when anything has us we need to maybe take a second and just go back to being intentional and being thoughtful about, no, I'm choosing this. It doesn't have me. And I think like Tony's documentary, I mean, talk about inspiration. I think he is extremely inspiring, but like the end is like, Hey, it kind of seems like skateboarding has him. And hmm. uh, that's fascinating to me because there's a part of me like even with this podcast at times, I'm like, do I have this podcast or does this podcast have me? Right. Like, yeah. and like, I remember over July 4th, I didn't, I don't think I published an episode. And I was like, I'm just not going to publish an episode and it'll be okay. And I found like, there's probably a story in my head that said like, no, dude, you have to do it every single week and you have to put it out. And like, that's what you do. I'm like, no, I don't think I'm actually uninspired to keep doing them. I actually think that ability to say, no, I'm choosing this. I get to do this rather than I have to do this mm. causes me to choose it more often. So 
I know we went from storytelling to that mantra, but like that's been big for me as I think about just how I'm living my life. Um, like, and, and I, I sort of can plug and play with that for anything. Um, and I found it to be useful. I don't know if it, I, I, well, I'm really interested. I really like that idea. I'm, 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 I'm thinking it through and, and, you know, people are listening to this, they could, does, does my life have me or do I have my life or these components? And I love that. I'm, I'm, uh, I can tell you're a very, you know, you're an intellectual guy and you think about these things and, and, you know, it's almost Talmudic and referencing your earlier thing. Like, you know, is that, when's the first star come out? <laughs> is it light? Is it dark? That old, that old wonderful. I love that one where, how do you tell when it's night? Is it the first star? And I'm sure you've, you've studied that as well. So I, I love that kind of thinking. I could tell you think that way. And it's, it's awesome. The, uh, one of the things that's kind of cool in life, though, and I don't think, again, this is a necessarily, a, it's all part of the same mix, but sometimes when something has you, that's also a powerful place to be. You know, you are in that, you, like this interview kind of has us, you know, we're in this place where we're doing it together. We're on the ride, man. And and it's cool. And we'll, we'll get off the ride at the end. But for this hour or however long we're doing this we're we're in it and, and together and that's that is that state of flow and and just being where you are and interacting and and i love that and and the, but the ability to also go right you know i i like two beers but if i drink more than that my life tends to go to shit in short order so yeah either i'm gonna do that or i'm not gonna drink beer you know these are these are yeah all these things are so interesting to me and how people figure them out so sometimes i like being had by the story though i like it when you're you're not you're not telling the story you are like you're in it going for it that's a good place to be too i never thought about like that and i love that perspective and i love that you brought the flow state into it because there's a release there's a there's a release of control that you feel and there's a letting go which i don't i'm not great at and i think wow that that's like a cool way. That's a cool little twist on it. My, my mentor, Neil, I, I hope he's listening because he, he passed away in the last wow. year or so. And, and like, he, he was so passionate and he was like, he had these frameworks like that one. And I would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there were times when I, he'd look at me like, dude, you're good. Like you're good. Like you're doing great stuff. And I can hear his voice, but I think he, I would be so curious what he would say to to that because i think that's true it's like love right that yeah what is love when you're in a relationship like there are things that you end up doing for love that aren't logical and but you do it because you've let go and you're just in love um yeah man that's and that's beautiful that's like you know you're, you're falling in love in a new relationship or something it's like you're not in control of the story you know <laughs> but you're living it you're like 100 percent there and, and uh and then as time goes on, you're like, okay, well, I can't just live in this state of, of you know, continue. You, you can't live there, nor is it healthy because the next one that came along, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to jump into that. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to work out. Speaking from personal experience here, you don't want to do that. So yeah, you need, you need both the intellectual and the, and the kind of emotional firing up, but that flow state's a really important idea and it's a beautiful state to be in. And, and, and that's another whole discussion of why we do these things, right? Like, you know, you're in a flow state doing this and other people are in a flow state when they're putting together a project or a business or whatever. And, you know, I find that most often in the mountains doing my things and, and sharing them with people when you're in a team flow state and everybody's going the same place, you know, in, in, in the talks I do, people are always like, well, let's talk about resiliency. And it's like, oh, it's really simple. You just need a goal and a group of people. And if they're committed, then you're resilient. 
and you go and you do it. And it's like, you know, in the trips that I take people on, we film in these heinous environments together. We're doing, it's awful. You, you cannot pay people enough to do this. <laughs> if you're like, hey, will you stand around at minus 30 while I throw blocks of ice at you and, you know, I'll pay you $800 a day or $2,000. they like, no, any sane person would. But we get out there and it's like, we're in that state of flow together. The ride's got us and we're committed to it. And we're and it and it's beautiful. So that that whether it's individual or or you know as a team, that state of flow and that purpose is is yeah, it's really important. I dig it too. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wind down here, but there's something that's on my mind, which is just the name of the podcast, which is intentional performers. And it was it didn't start out that way. It was actually called Beyond the Surface. And about mm. thirty episodes in, I was like, wow, these people are all really intentional with how they're going about their their world. And yet there's a part of you that I appreciate, which is like, you can be intentional all you want. You can do everything possible, prepare, make sure you're good. And nature's going to take its toll and going to blow you in one direction or another direction. And that's also beautiful. And so it's like, you can be intentional and like appreciate the luck of life. Like I was thinking about that. The friend I mentioned earlier, like he got hit by a car. It's just like, just like an unlucky thing, you know, Hmm. like that's, it is a truth in life. It's like, we can do all these things intentionally to feel alive and stuff happens. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think you probably know that better than most. Um, Where I wanted to close was on back to this list of accomplishments and I'm not going to list anymore. Um, But at the end of the list, it says, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> what are we staying tuned to? What What's next? Well, I, th- I think the future is way more interesting than the past, almost always. We have to know the past to prevent the same errors that we've made. And that's a really important thing in life, but it's the future is what's interesting. You know, like it's the stuff out the front of the car that's most interesting to me, not the rear view mirror. We got to be mindful of that, but you know, it's, it's going forward. So that's kind of what that means. It's just a challenge to, to myself, to, go forward. But can I back up for one second on that intentional thing and just riff on that? Cause he said some things there that I think are really, really interesting to me. You can do whatever you want. Oh, cool. Well, I love this. Let's do this more. But the, uh, so here's something like, <clears throat> I think what you're talking about and the word intentional, um, well, it's going to sound, you know, I, I hope this doesn't, it's not meant to, to, to shove sand in your face or anything, but I got to push back on that a little bit because that's a very kind of Western, um, you know, 21st century view is it's like, we control things and we, you know, when, when things happen, there must be a reason for it. And there must be like this, um, you know, it, bad things shouldn't just happen to good people, you know, and, and good things happen because we want them to. And it's a very kind of reductionist view of the universe. And I, and I think I've very much believed in it for a long time. And in the last five years, that's kind of fallen apart. And, you see this, you know, your, your friend, and, and I'm really sorry about that, who died in a car wreck. And we want to know like, why, how could this happen? You know? And it's like, somebody must be responsible, but I think it matters a tremendous amount that we try and that we strive and that we try personally to be better and, and to be whatever it is in life. Like I really, really believe in that intention at the same time. I think we'd be a lot healthier if we also recognize that we're specs like <laughs> we are so small and and that the universe is so big and the, what if you have that perspective then it is really helpful in adapting as things do change you know when i'm out there in the mountains and things start 
changing. Like I can have the intention to climb that mountain all I want, but I better, my first value is to see things as they are and, and to adapt to that. The universe is really big. I'm really small. And, you know, I'm going to try, I've, I've, I've pushed really hard. I've raised money. I've gathered a team. We've done everything we can to make this a success, but we're still nothing. The universe is much, much bigger. And so we, we have to adapt and, and change. And I think we'd all, I'm certainly better balanced with that perspective than when I was younger. When somebody, you know, unfortunately when I was younger and, and somebody died, they'd be like, well, they didn't tie their knot properly and I'd never do that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm safe. I'm fine. It's like, you know, what? we all fuck up. We're all just like bumbling forward and doing our best and we make errors and that's the human condition. So with that understanding, how can we try to do the coolest things we can and that are the most interesting and fulfill our curiosity. And, and uh, so I think we have to be careful not to over-intellectualize this game of life. It's like, we're all here. It's messy, man. Here we go. Let's do it. And, and uh, yeah, so that, does that make sense at all to you? Or hundred percent. And to your point, it's like going back to do what makes you feel alive, do what yeah. um, you enjoy doing. Like, I always talk to my client. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with watching Netflix at night, having some drinks and enjoying life. Like I'm not someone who thinks like you're going to hack your way through life. And by the way, if that, if doing ice baths or doing, you know, ultra marathons or, or taking an ice pick up Niagara falls is your jam. Like, but I'm, that's, that's for you to decide. Right. And I think there's a lot of judgment that comes with what we should do. And I think if I were to sort of capture our conversation, it's, it's really go back to like, you need to figure out what makes you feel alive. Go toward that. And by the way, it might be on the side. Like you might want to be an engineer or a CPA. Yeah. Um, and and that that might be what you're doing for your family for whatever reason that is, or or a janitor or whatever it might be. Like we all have to make decisions and uh, it's up to each of us to figure out what we value and, and what's important. And I think that's I think that's key. And then understanding that man plans and God laughs and, and we'll see, yeah. we'll see whatever, whatever it brings our way. So, um, will, if people want to follow you, follow you, I know you're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I know your, your website. I mean, you're, you're all over the internet, including, you know, his, his wedding registry. Um, which I isn't really, seriously, that's up there. <laughs> it's not really, there's not, there's not any way for me to gift you anything yet. Don't do that. But you might want to ask Sarah, like it's, it's, it's on, it's on, it's on, the inner uh, yeah, we're Sarah and I are going to have a conversation. Well, she's she's planning, she's organizing things. That's wonderful. But um, yes, I'm I'm a little concerned about this, but we'll figure it out. But yeah, I, I, yeah, live live and and figure out what blows your hair back and go toward that with the with the understanding that you do also have to plan for the future. And you know, like yeah, just just drinking tremendous quantities of beer and eating edibles is really. Uh, temporary fulfilling, but it probably isn't going to get you where you want to go. So figure it out. I really enjoyed talking with you. We should, uh, you know, I'd love to have a, a beverage of uh, in moderation, you know, or something at some point with you. I'm sure we could keep going forever. Just really fun uh, talking with you. Thank you. This this was awesome. On social media, you can find him at Real Will Gad on Instagram, and then his name's on Facebook, Captain Adventure on TikTok, which I am not on. God bless you. Um, <laughs> and then WillGad.com, I think, is the website. So um, I am. You can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. And then Twitter is where I like to play at Brian Levinson and LinkedIn is the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. Will, what a blast, man. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks for inspiring me. Uh, keep, keep doing it. Can't wait to stay tuned to what's next. And as you said, 
um, maybe we'll get to hang out in person one, one day and, and over a fire pit and, and talk about life. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Brian. Have a, have a great day. And uh, yeah, I hope you get your hair blowing back and, and uh, do something fun out there. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I think, I think that's really, really important is to go, how do you get good at something? And, and I've gotten reasonably good at a few different sports because I've looked at not only the best, but the successful and, and however you define that and gone, what have they done that will work for me or not work for me? And things I've had to invent on my own. And then eventually, if you really, really focus on getting better, then you win. But you don't just decide to win. Like focusing on getting better, like that's more important than focusing on, on winning. And I think that's why a lot of this goal setting, it's like my goal is never to like win or do whatever it's to like get better and then those things happen